Welcome to Chalice, a podcast where me and my wonderful co-host Alice summarize and discuss books and the way those books impact the way we see the world. Join us for our philosophical, political, and even theological discussions of those publications. Grab a cup of tea, a fur baby, and enjoy. talking about a little book, Dear Egea Wele. Did you enjoy this book? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> good, I guess. Can you describe why this book was a good one in three words or less? In three words or less? Yeah. It was good. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving on to talk about some background on this little novel. So the full name is Dear Egea Wele. Sorry if I fucked that up. You were going to say the full one, and then you didn't say the full title. Well, I'm going to say the full title now. It's Dear E.G. Awele, or A Feminist Manifesto in 15 Suggestions. It's written by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. I did practice pronouncing that. So this book is a, was originally a letter. Yes. Yeah. Written by a Nigerian journalist <laughs> and feminist, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, to her friend E.G. Awele about how to raise her daughter, Chisalum, to be a feminist. I think one of the things that I like so much about this book is the fact that her cultural background played such a role in it, yeah. which was an interesting perspective to add to an American background, because mm-hmm. she's also American, but she has, like, the Nigerian and Igbo culture kind of flavoring things for her. Mm-hmm. So this book made it onto NPR's 2017 Great Reads list. I think it really does grow out of her awareness of a lack of strong voices in feminism that are respected and that, like, there is so little respect for the feminist movement. Yeah. In her TED Talk I was telling you about, actually, that we watched um, in class before we read the book, uh, she talks about how her one friend, she was, like, having a conversation with him, an argument with him when they were younger, and he was like, you're a feminist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she like she's like Ugh. she was like yeah I'm a feminist but she didn't know what the word meant at that point so she like went home she looked up what it was <laughs> and she was like why is this a bad thing yeah yeah but there's like other than the definition I think there are so many man hating yeah. stereotypes yeah. associated with it so it makes sense so the fifteen suggestions yes there's fifteen of them incredible. <laughs> Yeah, so the first of 15 suggestions is be a full person. This seems so simple to me, and at first she started with this, and I'm like, yes, but wait, what? Yeah, it seems obvious. Yeah, it it feels like, I don't know, the sky is blue, (laughs) kind of a statement to start out with, but the way she articulated it Mm -hmm. was so simple and so relevant to the way we choose to act and how that influences the people in our lives like people we have a relationship with and in this particular circumstance our children yes be a a full person is kind of it's like self-explanatory in the fact that to be a feminist or to be a true feminist as she says i think it involves just being entirely who you are yeah as an individual person, and not be defined by your gender. Yeah, I guess. You're not sheltering parts of yourself, right? And not like cutting yourself off from being the way that you are most comfortable being because yeah. you feel you have to be constrained by gender roles. Yeah, that are dumb and societally built. Yes. The second suggestion was do it to. Yes. Which is based in her heterosexual comfort zone. Yeah. Of, like, saying when you're in that kind of marriage with, you know, you as a feminist and you your husband, it's kind of just about not diminishing the role of the father to be, like, babysitting. Yeah. Or helping out. Yeah. And instead dividing the work equally but not equally in kind of like an exact 50-50. Mm-hmm. Equally in, you'll know if you are splitting responsibility equally if there isn't any resentment. Yes. 
And that was pretty good because I think everyone wants resentment free childcare. Yeah, that'd be nice. That would that would be great. Uh, the third suggestion is teaching her that gender roles are absolute nonsense. nonsense. Yep. <sighs> Another very simple, very self-explanatory step, but still so so important. And this kind of comes back to her her first suggestion of being a full person. Mm. I think, and being that you can't be a full person if you're constraining yourself to gender roles. Yeah. Limiting yourself, cutting yourself off, and saying, oh, I can't be, I can't play this sport because it's a boy sport. Yeah. That limits yourself from being fully yourself and a full person. So just not letting gender roles predefine who, like, you can be. So there are a lot of gender roles that could influence what you're like, I guess, without yeah. even you realizing it, because some of them are so deeply ingrained. Yes. E- yeah, it's it's the it's the some of the suggestions I think are less straight up avoiding gender inequality and more getting to the root of some of the societal constraints and some of the more subconscious anti-feminist ideas that undermine women. I know what you're saying. You do. Thanks. Do you? Yes, I do. I know. I know what you're saying. Okay, because the fourth suggestion is kind of what that is. Because the fourth suggestion is beware of the danger of what I call feminist light. Yes. For her. Which was so interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting. that's where we go deeper. Feminist light, how would you say she defines feminist light? Um, I believe she defines it as like, oh well, women are equal only if, insert blank, usually like, if your husband says it's okay or something like that. I don't remember what example she gave. I actually do. Yeah. Funnily enough, remember one of the examples. I think it might have come up, come up in this suggestion or in one of the other suggestions. Um, probably about language. It was a news article. Yeah. That said the mayor shares the spotlight. Oh, that one. He, he allows her. Yeah. To shine on the stage. Yeah, he allows her, like, that moment of, oh, hey, like. Yeah. But you wouldn't say that in the reverse. You wouldn't say, like. In the reverse, it would be, she's supporting him. him. Yeah. She's supporting him. Yeah. Which is an interesting dynamic. Yeah. I thought you were going to, you were going to say the one about the woman mechanic in the newspaper. She's just a mechanic. You you don't have to. Well, that, yeah, that's, I think that's part of a later suggestion. She talks about feminism, like, in there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because feminist and light is involved in more of a language, but there's also, like, a group of people who she defines as feminist lights yeah. who aren't really, you know, doing what they, they're supposed to as far as representing what feminism actually mm. means. Mm. At least what it means to, to her. That's true. She does talk a lot about um the, the situational circumstances yeah, in which feminism can be reinterpreted. Yeah. And, like, one of the first things that she said was, the difference between the definition of feminism that says if your husband cheats on you, you should absolutely leave him, mm-hmm. and the real definition of feminism, well, if you cheated on your husband, would your husband leave you, or would he stay to work it out? So only, like, is there, like, an equal respect there, or an equal willingness to be forgiving? Yeah. <laughs> I loved number five. Hmm. Teach Chisaloom to read. Yes. Yes. I was like, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Usually, like, don't talk about reading or being intellectual when it comes to feminism. So Right. It's just about being, having your voice heard. Yeah. It's all about having loud opinions, which she's very for. I'm not saying she's not for women with opinions. Yeah. Because she's very for women having opinions, which she talks about later. But I have to say, as an avid reader, I like this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little biased. <laughs> Are you biased? Um, am I biased? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I think I, I guess think we now both... I am. Well, yeah. Because I used to not read a lot when I was a child. I didn't really get into reading until middle school. I guess I'm biased in the way that I like reading now. Wait. But I didn't I like... I feel like there, there are roots to a child who will develop an avid love of reading at that age of middle school where mm. it starts to be like a thing that you do. <laughs> God, <Sorry>. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, reading is just a, a gateway yeah. into different things. And I think the people who who develop that, well, because you develop the habit of reading when your parents read to you. And I think that's why she was so intent on making it a step that's so close to, like, that's so high up on the list. Mm-hmm. Because if Chisaloom is going to grow up to be a reader, then it starts with 
being taught to read and then being read to. Yeah. By Ijiawele. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Number six is teach her to question language. Yeah, I like that one because I'm a linguist. <laughs> so I love I love talking about the way language affects the way we think and how language is so socially determined. And so those gender roles that are socially constructed are both influenced by language and language influenced them. Yes. Like, that's why questioning language is important, because if you're more open to the idea that some of having a feminist perspective starts in the way you talk about women, yeah, or you talk about every person in general, then that's where you start to work out where some of those more subtle societal constraints are being like, I think, I don't know if this was actually what the example that she used, because I went back and wrote some of these down after it already was Yeah. So it was me kind of thinking about, like, reflecting on it after listening to it. And she did say, is it a lady mechanic or is it a mechanic? mechanic. And, like, language obviously to a degree reflects those social norms that we are kind of aware of to be part of the patriarchal tradition yeah um men are usually mechanics yeah yeah, and and like like i said you know questioning language could help contribute to more a more open idea of femininity and feminism yeah i remember the one example she gave was not calling your child something like prince or princess or something gender like that calling them like star or precious or something right not something that kind of reinforces like not calling your child um your daughter, um, like a like a pet name or a baby name, something that early gives them this idea that they're delicate. Yeah. Or they needs to be saved. Yeah, th- yeah, that they they have like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because they don't. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that was a really interesting one, and I I kept like as she listed them in my mind, I was just like, oh yeah, there's like a lot of things you can call like you know, there's something like gender neutral. Yeah. Ones and I'm like, Han, Han is a gender neutral pet name. I like that one. Um, that's one of my favorites. Um, Hun, love, sweetie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, hello. Number seven. Yes. Never speak of marriage as an achievement. As an achievement. Right. And so I come from this background of having gone to a college where it is very much spring by spring. It is going and getting a degree in MRS, you feel? MRS? Marriage Rule... No, okay. It's not an acronym. Oh, MRS. This is... Oh! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So marriage is, like, over (laughs) over overemphasized in that way, I think, as being something important, like, that every single relationship you're in, the end goal should be. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who are married, and I don't disrespect marriage. I just don't think of it as, like, an achievement. So people who are, like, I don't know. It's just interesting, like, the way that sometimes it's straightforwardly spoken as, like, like like a woman's goal. Like, I don't think anyone, very few people in this year of 2020 actually still believe that a female's main goal in life should be to get married. But they do see that as much more important and much more of a worthwhile pursuit Yeah, for a woman than I do. I actually overheard some girls um, talking about this before class started, and they were saying how they disagreed with what she said and that they thought it was okay to, like, see that as an achievement for yourself. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's something you did, like, with another person. Like, you, like, solidified your whatever, whatever. I didn't well, really... Well, okay. Because, <laughs> I, okay, I'm not completely disagreeing. Yeah. Because there's a either. difference between a personal achievement and an achievement, a goal in a relationship. Yeah. Because if you are in a serious relationship, and, like, that's something that you agree upon mm-hmm. with your partner, like, I think you can both be like... We want to get married. Yeah. And then achieving, like, actually getting to that point of getting engaged and getting married, that is an achievement. And then, like, keeping that marriage yeah, I agree. healthy and open, like, that that's an achievement. But personally, when you're raising a child, yeah. they should never be taught to believe 
is that before they're even in a relationship, before they're even capable of talking to someone, yeah. having a conversation, that they should be taught from that very, very, very young age that marriage is a goal. Yes. That it is a high goal. Like, worthy of... Like, if you get married... Like, more of their thoughts than, than it yeah. should overtake before they're actually in a serious relationship. Kind of like marriage equals success socially. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people only find that out when they get divorced. Yeah. Or maybe I should say a lot of people find that out after they get married, and then they either get divorced or figure out a way to be successfully very unhappy. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not saying it's super common nowadays, but some people believe in working out as unhealthy marriages because it's what we've been told. I'm just saying. Okay, number eight. Okay. Super excited. Are you ready? Yes. Teach her to reject likability. Are we going to say the last word of everyone together? Um, only sometimes. Okay. Well, for me, I really want to hear what you have to say about this, because I have been taught to be likable, and so I still try to be likable, especially when I'm speaking to strangers, mm. people who are providing me with a service. I don't think I was taught to be likable. I was taught to be polite, and I think there's a difference between being polite and being like, I have to be liked by everyone, and it's... Because it's nice to be liked. Okay. Well, yeah. But yeah, like it wasn't a goal of mine to be liked by someone. Right. And I, I think the likability aspect isn't her saying that you shouldn't be liked. The likability is basically don't teach your your son or your daughter, yeah. but especially your daughter, to hold back her opinions mm -hmm. because she thinks if she speaks them out loud that, that she should be afraid of not being liked for her because she should always be entitled to her opinion. Yeah, I was never told to like like <laughs> staunch my opinions for someone else. Mm -hmm. But there is a little bit of a, an interesting thing that women do, actually. We mm. study um, language and cadence and stuff where women, more so than men, tend to use upspeak which is raising the tone at the end of a sentence to give it less of a harsh ending. Mm. So make it more open-ended, even if it's not supposed to be open-ended. Oh, like, do the dishes please, or do the dishes please. Do the dishes please. Yeah. Do the dishes please? Yeah. Okay. Like, it's not a question, but it sounds like a question because upspeak works its way into female language just naturally. And when women pursue public speaking or presenting, that's something that they get early and often told to stop doing because they won't be able to make a point confidently if they're constantly like da 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 It sounds more passive. Right. I think you could take any sentence and use it as an example, but I really don't like Trump, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, he's okay, I guess, with, with the economic management and financial crisis, but I'm more passionate about social issues, and I don't like what he's doing there. Instead of just straight up saying Trump's an asshole when I don't like it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know why that example came so easily? Because you've done it? Because I've done oh it. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I actually, I guess I do that too sometimes, right. but it's more around strangers than anything else, because like... Right. I don't want to cause problems no. or, like, conflict. Right. <laughs> no. It's not like upspeak has to be avoided entirely because, yeah. like I said, upspeak is a part of practical language usage where you say, oh, I am unsure of this thing that I'm saying and I'm speaking yeah. to a stranger. So, like, I want to, you know, upspeak is a practical thing. It's mm -hmm. just when women start to use it more incessantly when they want to be liked, or when they're actually confident about something, or they should say something confidently. Yeah. No, ma'am, I can't give you a discount because you want one. <laughs> Please go home. Retail. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> okay, and nine is give Chisaloom a sense of identity. I is capitalized, which is one of the most fascinating things in literature to me as a linguist. Ever. Like, I find it so fascinating because when you're writing informally, you can choose to capitalize whatever things you want to capitalize. It can really mm -hmm. change the way people read a word. Yeah. Because it's, oh, give Chisalum a sense of identity. Or give Chisalum a sense of identity. Yeah. You know, because identity is here 
basically in an English sense being like a, a proper noun, like it's a proper thing that deserves to be capitalized. Yeah. That happens in a lot of books, older books as well. Yeah. It happens in Charlotte Temple too. Right. Yeah. Because Hyman. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to use an example of like reality. No. Whenever he's like taking her to America, he says something really weird and like gross and stuff about like, about, <laughs> which is really gross. I was like, ah. Okay. We can talk about that later. <laughs> All right. We'll talk, we'll talk about that in oh. next episode too. Subscribe. Temple. Is there a subscribe button? Subscribe. Subscribe. <laughs> okay, where we got? Please like this. Please. Please share it. <laughs> Please share this and review it on iTunes, Spotify. It really helps us get the message out there. That's what people say. On yeah, podcasting. I know. It's what people say on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. There's just... Anyway. <sighs> okay, I'm going to read number nine again because I already forgot. Okay. Give Chisloom a sense of identity. The interesting part about this is... It comes back to that cultural thing, yeah. the Nigerian and Igbo culture, mm-hmm. where rooted in Nigerian culture, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, or just Adichie, I don't know if I can refer to her by her last name I, in this, yeah. but I do love her full name, and I do love saying it, so I'm probably <laughs> going to keep saying her you full name. You can keep saying it. <laughs> All right. So she advises her friend that she could teach Chisalum to accept parts of her culture in her identity, but reject antiquated or incorrect ideas that may still exist. Mm-hmm. So she can cherry-pick. I know that kind of has, like, a, you know, not so much of a great idea to it, but she can cherry-pick parts of her culture that are important to her and ancient and important without adopting things that aren't healthy for her, mm-hmm. for her worldview today. Do you think? Yeah, I would agree. I think that a problem with that is that, you know, someone else with the opposing idea could also do the same thing. That's true. Yeah, this one was a little, um, well, it's hard for me because it's not like she gave concrete examples about what she's talking about within her culture. She's just kind of leaving it open-ended to her friend Mm -hmm. to say that it's important, like, just open-endedly say, it's important to pass down to Chisalum our shared Nigerian and Igbo culture. Um, in her TED talk, she talks a little bit more about that point. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, oh no. I don't know. Um, Link the TED wait. talk in the show notes. Yes. Oh, she was talking about becoming more popular as a feminist in Nigeria uh-huh. and how um, there was some negative backlash. It isn't in, in Igbo culture to be a feminist. That she was just being too Americanized, too Westernized. Oh, yeah. Because they talk about that more in in like when she's speaking about marriage yeah. in Igbo culture, like the the children are the husbands. Yes. Just like inherently, that's kind of how it is. Yeah. So I don't know in what particular suggestion or what part she says it, but it's in yeah. the next one. Really? I think so. Yeah. I know. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. That is not the next one. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, the, ne- the next next one. The next next one. Okay, so number <laughs> ten. Yes. Be deliberate about how you engage with her and her appearance. And oh yes. my gosh, I was like, yes! <laughs> yes. Please. So important. And so relevant because I think mothers in general have a tendency to be more picky about the way their daughters dress. I think my dad's more picky than my mom, to be honest. Well, parents in general, let's say, have I tend to be more controlling over over what a daughter wears mm-hmm. than than what their son would ever choose to wear. Yeah, which just has to do with antiquated ideas about sexuality. But one thing she did say that I will never ever forget in my life, and this is one of the steps that definitely influenced the way I see the world now, and the way I'll root raise any of my potential future children to believe as well is that when talking to your daughter about her appearance, never bring morality. Never involve morality in the way you choose to talk to her about the way she dresses or the way she looks. Yes. So important, because uh, that's where the... Purity culture. Purity culture, yeah, and where, like, the shame starts to come in. She said never to talk about virginity. Yeah, that comes in in number 12. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And we will... I will be definitely going off on this one. I'm super excited to engage in the idea. But anyway, so are we good to 
Do you have anything to say about the appearance one? Because she gave a bunch of different adjectives that you could use instead. Yeah. Do you remember some of them? You could say, oh, it's it's ugly or doesn't look good on you. Something like that. Like, it's, it's not, not tasteful. It's not classy. Yeah. Yeah. And those don't involve morality because you're just saying, hey, like, I honestly, what you're wearing right now, I don't like it. Yeah. But it's not but slutty. Yeah. You're not being... You look like a whore. Right. You're not, you know... Oh, you're promiscuous. You're dressing promiscuously. Yeah. Or whatever. Or whatever it is that, um, a mother, like, for example, a mother might say to her daughter when it comes to the length of your skirt. Yeah. I think she also talks about situationally appropriate. Yeah. Saying that skirt is too short or that top is too low. You look too, you're too revealing right now. Instead, talking about when is it appropriate to dress the way you want to and when should you be more conservative yeah she didn't say that like oh you can just wear whatever you want like you can wear sweatpants to an interview and expect to get the job right because there's like a time and a place to yeah. present yourself in different ways yes but that doesn't involve morality yeah different different social expectations right and social yeah yeah <laughs> Um, cause you never, you never want your daughter to have no idea of what's the right way to dress when. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then she could potentially be embarrassed. She could be rejected for those jobs that she wants. She could, yeah. you know, have to come completely relearn social expectations. Number 11. Teach her to question our culture's selective use of biology as reason for social norms. I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. Cause I don't know if this one completely, s- like, stuck with you. Yeah. Um, this is the one she talks about, I think, cooking, and she was like, there is no instruction manual that comes with having a vagina for cooking. That is true. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think, like, yeah, they talk about, like, when I was, like, thinking about selective use of biology for reason, mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe she said something about physical superiority. Oh, yeah. Quote, unquote, versus cultural superiority. superiority. Where masculinity and gender should always be questioned and not accepted as reasons for social norms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The difference between, oh, um, men are generally stronger physically than women in regards to biology. But versus. That, those generalities shouldn't be, like, a basis. Only for, men can do this because yes. only men are yeah, because there are women who are physically strong, there are men who are physically weak, mm-hmm. etc. And there's more to society now than just, I have to, like, hunt to survive or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's funny, even in Sunday school, I remember one of my Sunday school teachers even saying, he basically acknowledged a lack of existence of gender roles. Yeah. Or, yeah, like, like those traditional gender roles and, like, stereotypes, the lack of the those being present in the Bible because people would be created in a certain way. Yeah. And that certain way doesn't define that they have to be, that they, they are that, like, they fall on one side of the spectrum or the other as far as stereotypical masculine or feminine. They could be less, less masculine but still be... A man. A man. Yeah. In the way that the Bible might define gender gender. So that that was always an interesting perspective for me as far as I never heard it described that way before because there is a there is a push towards the traditional family unit. Yeah. And towards um fundamentalism in the Bible, so and in Judeo Christian cultures. Number twelve. Talk to her about sex and start early. I love the way she started it because it was like, <laughs> This will be awkward. Oh, so awkward. Can you even... I can't even... My parents never talked so, to me about it, to be honest. I don't... No, actually, I changed my mind. My mom definitely did talk to me a little bit about it, but more from the medical standpoint, mm. where she explained to me my lady parts. Yes. She explained, she broke down to me, like, what the clitoris is, and where the vagina is, and where the ovaries are, and <laughs> where the um, other stuff is. Yes. Why can't I even think of these words? But yeah, basically, she, she broke down, like, the location of stuff. She books and stuff. It was, it was great. Like, she really had open conversations about, like, biologically what I got. Yes, my, what we got. my parents never did that. They were like, you're going to learn this at school. Oh, the school <laughs> didn't really... Yeah, it didn't teach me anything. No, I school le- doesn't... <laughs> I learned the most about, well, about it from sexplanations, to be honest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how you kind of have to seek that knowledge out for yourself yeah. if you are even curious, because so many women go through life either feeling ashamed of their sexuality yes. or having... Literally no idea what sex is like 
Because the traditional, like, trails and porn and other stuff focus entirely on... Male pleasure? Yeah, male pleasure. I mean, I think, to a certain degree, our children will be raised in a world that has more examples of... Your children? My... Sorry. My children will be raised... Collective our... Collective our following generation. Yes. Will be raised with the things that we are... We were probably without. Yes. I mean, there are so many shows on Netflix that have such a, a realistic and just very staunch sex-positive message mm-hmm. behind them. Mm-hmm. Sex Education is a show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Don't know if you've seen it. I have not should seen it. I should watch. If you're interested. Okay. Um, it's British. Oh, uh, of course it is. It's great. Um, it's, um, oh, what's his name? He was in a bunch of stuff. I feel like you would probably know if you saw him. But anyway, uh, he plays like this kind of like awkward guy whose mom is a single sex and relationship therapist. Hmm. So he kind of grew up with all that stuff, but he's also a teenage boy, so he's also an idiot. Yeah. Um, but is, but unlike most parents who don't really know anything about their child, she's all of them, mm. so. But then it, it's funny because sex education ends up being... He ends up charging people at his school to give them advice about sex and relationships. Because he happens to have education on on this stuff for a casual education. So it's just a really good show base. And then there's um, Big Mouth, which is a show produced by... I don't know, somebody, but like John Mulaney and... You know what it looks um, like. And... Um, Nick Kroll mm. are in it slash produce it slash something. I don't know. It's like one of their, their brainchilds about like basically the first season is all about puberty. Mm. Like boys coming to puberty yeah. and having these hormone monsters that talk to them. <laughs> oh my god. Them, you should like it's like all these like deep voiced like big characters that follow them around and tell them when they need to when they need to masturbate or when they're turned on oh or something. And they're, they're, like, basically the hormone monsters educating them on on their bodies and oh. on their sex stuff. And the female hormone monster that says, hey, take a look at me, you know, take a look at your vagina, see what you got. You know, and, and, and it's a whole beautiful scene um, where the one character... I haven't really watched the whole show, so this is not coming from a place of an educated, like, thing, but I know, like, there's a scene where she's invited to take a mirror and actually look. Mm. Look at her vagina. Yeah. Look at the different parts and say, like, oh, hey, this is cool. Like, this is what I have. Mm. So that's just all about sex positivity and, and, and growing up. Um, but another really important part about this to me is the, the, the part that she actually emphasized really well, which was giving them the language. Because you yeah. can teach them all you want about sex. Mm-hmm. But if you don't give them the language to talk to you about it, they're not going to talk to you about it, mm-hmm. even if you feel like you've done all you can to make them feel like they can talk to you about anything. Yeah. If they don't have the language to talk about how they're feeling, and if, like, your daughter has a yeast infection, if she doesn't know what a yeast infection is, or the fact that, no, she shouldn't have an itch down there, mm-hmm. she won't know to talk to you. And that's even, like, the most simplest, non, I don't know, awkward sex thing. But it is with your sexual organs. Mm -hmm. And it is important for her to know what's happening down there. Yeah. Because a yeast infection, while is usually minor and can be treated with a few suppositories and even anti-itch wipes, specially formulated for that, if left untreated, it can get kind of bad. And obviously, like, toxic shock syndrome. Mm. I think I would probably encourage my daughter not to use tampons, because mm. I could go off on how, you know, tampon companies are not required to disclose what their tampons are made of, and you are putting that in yeah. a place that has a very, very, abs- like, absorbative, like, mucus, muco- muc- mucosal membranes mm-hmm. and everything. So, like, yeah, you probably shouldn't put that in your body. And also, tampons just make clumps worse because they expand. Not good. But anyway, she says, as she's on the first day of her period, holla, <laughs> and guess what I'm wearing? Not a tampon. I'm wearing a menstrual cup. 
Oh. Yeah, because it's my preferred method. I know you're like, oh, the idea of an inserting, like, you're just, you're a pad, pad that, user all the way. That stresses me out. I've tried it, and yeah. I just can't deal with it. Yeah. I can't handle it. It was weird. Uh, it was me weird. anxiety. Yeah, it was It was weird to, to adjust to, but if, for me, like, I'd used tampons, so, like, the idea of once you really, this is so off topic, <laughs> but once you actually get comfortable with putting yeah. something up there and feeling around and really figuring out where it goes and where you can put it in, where it's comfortable yeah. in the wall, then it becomes less of a big deal to put something that's bigger than a tampon. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't mean that in like a sexual way. I, I mean that like in a genuine like. But I think one of the things for me was that I didn't like about it is it's hard to get out. Yeah. You have to really go digging. I actually wrote a blog post about this because I yeah. thought it was very important. <laughs> I mean, no one reads it, but it's fine. Maybe I'll link it. So, so, so people can blog. so people can go uh, check out my review of a menstrual cup. But you have to break this the seal, seal, the vacuum seal, yeah, because it kind of because that's how it stays where it's supposed to be. It's, yeah, it's like a vacuum seal. So you have to like push your finger into the bottom of it until you can get it to fold. Yeah, and then it will come out really easily. Oh, that uh, stresses me out. Uh, yeah, I I can tell by your grasping at your chest that you're uncomfortable. It's fine. It just, That's it's it's real life, okay? It's how it works. I, I respect but, it. But anyway, I really want to get the menstrual cup from this one company that like originally makes them because they have a pull tab on it that breaks the seal. Oh. Yeah, I want it so bad. It has like, just like a little string uh-huh. that mm-hmm. comes down, and it and it like has a ring on the end, so you can put your finger in and pull it, and it'll break the seal. That's so useful. It's genius. It's yeah. so good. But unfortunately, like most menstrual cups, it is pricey. Yeah. Because they do start at like forty dollars. Thanks. Yeah. But I don't know how much that one is, I forget. But I have been meaning to like invest in that one because I think it's because I obviously like I've had this menstrual cup for like two years. Yeah. And I use it for most of my periods. I mean, while I was going on and off birth control, mm-hmm. I didn't need to because my flow was so restricted but this is real honest conversation about <laughs> about menstrual cycles but anyway number 13 romance will happen so be on board what do you think of this one i thought this was kind of like a this felt like a subsection of talking about yeah. sex and talking about it early because it, it just goes along with the giving her language to talk about it and also like i get it yeah i mean obviously like this is interesting to be talking about how to raise a kid feminist when you don't plan to have kids and I don't have to have kids for a while. Yeah. So, like, to a certain degree when it comes to talking about romance and, and kids and being on board with... It's hard to think about a parental relationship when you've never been in one. Yeah. So, like, that parental relationship, I can, Im- can imagine being a daughter myself, that it's, it's hard when your parents are not on board with you being in in romantic relationships, uh, yeah, actually, like oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah, go ahead. So I was gonna say, I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> just patting my head. It's fine. <laughs> um, well, I also took the note of like give and take. Yes. Like for 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 romance, it's important to teach them that women shouldn't be in relationships where it's just give, give, give. Yeah. No one should be in that relationship. No one should be in a relationship where it's all give, give, give. It's give and take. But especially when it comes to women, they tend to feel like it is more give. Yes. Than take. And so they don't indulge themselves the ability to take. The ability to feel like they can ask for things even in relationships. But that's the funny thing about a relationship is it doesn't work unless it's a two-way street. Yeah. And that goes right along with language and communication is, like, you have to talk it out. Gender also gives a, a very toxic idea of what relationships should be like. And not to get back on sex, but I'm such a sex-positive feminist, like, you know? Yeah. When it comes to being in... A romantic relationship. First of all, should not be shamed into believing that sex is bad. Yes. Because it is not bad. 
Um, but also just the idea that you need to communicate about give and take in a relationship with someone because you're not going to be happy if you don't tell them what you need slash want when it comes to sex. It's about what you want and you need to. And for women, we're so bad at asking for what we want, especially when it comes to sex. Asexual can't relate. Right. <laughs> That's true. Although we can talk about being asexual and, like, having those conversations about romance and stuff. Right. Romance, <laughs> like, well, she speaks from a heterosexual yeah, perspective. Yeah, she does. Because that's what like, she knows. She That's what she knows. Yeah. So for you, as an asexual, Ayo. how do you feel younger people, like people you mentor, should, how would you advise them on how to learn and talk about them? From an asexual perspective? Yeah, from a not traditionally hetero or maybe even homosexual relationship like hmm. I'm gonna reword this. Romance from a different place on the sexuality spectrum. When when a young person Okay, nope, <laughs> I figured out a better way to ask this. <laughs> I figured out a better way. Okay. What would you tell yourself? Myself. Yes. Back in like early high school when you would have these butterfly feelings stop for people. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, we're getting personal. Oh no! Oh <laughs> what would you tell yourself back in your youths, your youths <laughs> of early high school about how to deal with romantic butter flitter fluttery feelings for people? How would you teach yourself how to talk about romance in general? In general, and especially. When it comes to someone who does not see things in that sexual. Like, not a, I'm attracted to you sexually. Okay. Or so your sexual organs. To myself I'm attracted and to you and your personality. Okay. Like, romance in that, like, interpersonal way. So, to myself and to other aces. Like, yes. young aces. Okay. Are, um, are you great? Asexual is just fine. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've come to that conclusion. That okay. It's just days. Okay. Which it was fine. Yeah. We haven't talked about sexual health. Before, yeah. But. We can talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can be really confusing, especially if you haven't, you know, felt anything like that. Um, and it can be really alarming as well, especially if you don't have that communication with your parents. Or if, like, you feel like you're expected to feel a certain way and you don't. But any way you feel is still valid regardless. Um, and I would say, I think that it's important to have that open communication with people that you trust and people who will understand it. And if they don't understand it, um, it's important for them to understand it so that you can have, like, a better support system. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, though, because as a person who wants to have kids of my own, I think that giving my child, my children... The language to talk about romance, sexuality, and all of that stuff, and gender nonconformity, I think, is really important. Not because they shouldn't have that support system in peers, but because if I arm them with the knowledge and the language of how to sort through their own feelings, that's going to be better than people who are just as confused and just as much trying to figure it out as they are, giving them early impressions as to what they're supposed to be. Because I think when you're in those early pubescent years and when you're still growing into how you feel or what you are, there's this point of discovery where everywhere along the line, People, things people tell you, even if they don't mean them to be hurtful or impactful in a negative way, to your own personal discovery of who you are, that's what can sometimes happen. Because people will often speak without thinking, and I have probably said just as many stupid things as other people have said to me. Because in the end, we are all imperfect, and we all say things that are hurtful and harmful to other people. Um, but... Yeah. Yeah, like, just arming, arming my child as best as I possibly can with the language to talk about their body, their gender, their sexual feelings, their romantic feelings, their just themselves, like, themselves and other people and in that profile of gender and sexuality and, and, the, and the wide spectrum yeah. 
of everything that's going on. Yeah, I think that it's important to not expect your child to be straight or cis or whatever. Right. Um, and to understand the things that aren't those things. So someone who's ace like might grow up thinking there's something wrong with them or that they're weird because they don't feel the same things that someone else is feeling. Mm-hmm. And that they might think, oh, okay, relationships work a certain way. You're only supposed to have sex until you're married, and then they do mm-hmm. it, and it's, like, terrible. And they realize, that's when they realize that they're asexual. That would be horrible. Yeah. To, like, not be exposed. Yeah. To think that, well, <sighs> this will appear when I get married, because See, that's how it works. Uh, funny thing is, that's not how it works. <laughs> as a pansexual? Yeah, sure. as well as, no, Paul a pansexual in a currently straight relationship. I am <laughs> hashtag blessed to currently be with someone who is a quote-unquote ally, but is also very, very, very deeply interested in gender and sexuality and has a deep wealth of knowledge of gender and sexuality, or at least as much as you can have as a cisgender straight male. But it's an area of deep interest so yeah it's yeah. pretty great because i know that where where my knowledge stops with my experience or what what i've been exposed to his knowledge can continue or can can fill in some gaps and we can grow children who are very aware of gender and sexuality and that's really important to me to us so yeah. number 14 we're so close to the end in teaching her about oppression be careful not to turn the oppressed into saints. Originally reading this one without hearing her talk about it, I was like, say what now? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, so people who are martyrs aren't saints? But then she did, well, yeah, because it was just me being confused. Yeah. But when she actually got into it, it's like, oh, the oppressed, in this case, women, mm-hmm. are not more morally upright than men. Yes. Which is a common social stereotype where yeah. women are supposed to be just better, I guess. Which I guess so. <laughs> I guess, like, but just what we're told is that is that to a certain degree, women are superior, but only in very specific ways. Mm. They are intellectually superior, mm. supposedly, and morally superior. I guess, even though they are just as human as men and just as imperfect. So, <laughs> that, uh, I don't know, like, that's just an interesting, interesting one that she threw in there to describe the idea that, like, hey, these people are not perfect, and therefore you should not treat them as of such. Yeah. That's the one where she said, um, even, like, unkind and uh, unpleasant people are still worthy of dignity. Yeah. Like, everyone deserves dignity regardless because they're human and yeah. everyone has value because they're, they exist. Yeah. Righteous. Yes. Right, if number 15. Teach her about difference. This is a direct quote. Teach her about difference because it's just the way it is. Yeah. You, like, you can't, you can't not, it's, we were just having this long conversation, obviously, about gender and sexuality, yeah. but I think this is gender, sexuality, and race, mm-hmm. just those, those three main things that people tend to immediately see and judge about people. Mm-hmm. There are other things. There's religion, too, I think, but, but some of the more obvious religious ones tend to be in, enveloped in the race category, but because it is both a racial and a religious association mm-hmm. I think. there's a very interesting subculture of sociology that studies um the difference between a culture a religious culture and a racial culture whereas like people who are like actively practicing that religion versus just identify with that culture interesting anyway <laughs> moving on um <laughs> Um, so ed- the education about people's differences, race, gender, and sexuality, is so important because you're going to meet people that way. Yeah. More likely than not. So having the education to know the way it is is important. Yeah. And the idea of even giving a child a thought in their mind that something that is not the same as them is wrong. Mm-hmm is absolutely horrifying. <laughs> like, just no. Although, it does make the 
the, the differentiation here, like she does for many of them, between teaching her about difference and teaching her to be non-judgmental. Yeah. Because I think she says something along the lines of, like, teaching her to be non-judgmental is a quick way to devolve into teaching her to not have an opinion. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I think she concludes this, this one and the book, basically, by saying, hey, like, teach her to know about difference but to judge difference in a way that is fair and just and intelligent. Yes. Like, in a way that understands difference to the point where she can judge fairly yeah. and compassionately. Yeah. That, was, that was a perfect 15th step, bringing it full circle to the idea of being a full person. Yeah. You individually being a full person versus you being a full person who acknowledges the full person. In someone else. And in the other. Yeah, so. Ah, it was so good and so enlightening and so beautiful, and I think this book will for forever change the way I look at the world. Yeah. And in between five and ten years, when I have a child, you better believe I'm coming back to this book. <laughs> Especially if I find out that I'm having a daughter. <laughs> having a girl, so. I don't know. Like, this is just such an unabridged perspective as to what feminism really is. Mm-hmm. Like, like full stop, no, like, no stopping it. No, as Just women talking thing. about women. It's yeah. women in the world. Yeah. Talking about women and women people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and this is a feminism free from, like, the the makeup, the foundation that we tend to put on where it covers up the blemishes in the system mm-hmm. or where society fails to acknowledge those ingrained mm-hmm. um, patriarchal influences. Yeah. Oh, this is bad, but that's the way it is, so we have to listen to Yeah. Yeah. That kind of way. Where she's like, oh, yeah, this is just kind of the way it is, but it shouldn't be this way, and yeah. therefore we should work to fix it. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, she's got the right idea by talking about how we fix it by educating and talking to our children about it. Yeah. Because we are lost causes. <laughs> to a certain degree, we are definitely lost causes because we can purge our language and we can try to correct ourselves in looking things as fairly and honestly and compassionately as possible. We're still working on it. And yes. working on ourselves and working how we, how we look at things. I was just, I know, I was, I was awe-inspired. Can you do this book? How about you? I agree. You can't just do this everybody's Yes, I can. Can you? Yes. <laughs> yep, copyright 217, all rights reserved. I bet. Did we register it? Did we? Do we have to register it? No, it's just giving credit. Okay. Our credit is due. Because this book is Dear Ijiawele for a Feminist Manifesto and 15 Suggestions by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Copyright 2017. I listened to the audiobook, which was read by January. Oh boy, that was, I did not go on an audiobook. I enjoyed it. Mm. I did not regret getting the audiobook at all. So I, I don't listen to a ton of audiobooks, but yep, okay. That's it for us today, and we'll be back in two ish weeks. Well, week. Sometime. Sometime. Eventually. We'll be back eventually. We'll Do we have an that outro? Book. Do we have an outro? Do we have an outro? We should have an outro. We can put an outro in right here. Jealous, it's just because Alice. Jealous. <laughs> oh God. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.